Today's scripture is Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39. The word of God speaks to us. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately, there in their synagogue, a man with an unclean, was an, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word to us. Thank you, Ash. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, if I have not had the honor of meeting you quite yet, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline Church, and uh, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark. We are, I believe, in week five of what will be uh, likely over 40 weeks of going through this gospel surely and slowly and intentionally together. And so I'm going to pray for y'all like I uh, always do. I invite you to pray for me, and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Christ, that you sent your spirit to help us, to dwell in us as we're in you. And so we, we pray, Jesus, how you taught us to pray. Just in this moment, we ask, Father, for your kingdom to come, your will to be done in this gathering, in our lives. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, in 1981, the, the awesome, amazing organization Make-A-Wish got its first real start, and the first official Make-A-Wish child was a little boy named Frank Salazar. His nickname was Bobsy, which I think is amazing. Um, and he was a sweet seven-year-old boy who had leukemia, and uh, he lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and his wish was to spend the day with firemen. And as a fireman. So the Phoenix Fire Department gave Bopsy this amazing experience, and he became an official member of Fire Crew 9 for a day. Now, since then, since 1981, those last 39 years, there have been over half a million children that have gotten to participate in the Make a Wish Foundation. And often, 
requesting to spend the day with somebody. Um, JJ, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, um, being a son of Chicago. Uh, number one requested person to spend a day with is Michael Jordan. And, uh, and number one grantor to spend a day with kids is Michael Jordan. One of the many reasons he is greater than LeBron um, is, is that. That's discipleship for you millennials. This is why we're here. Let's speak truth to you. Um, but I, I always, I bring that up just because I, I like um, the question, and I've always liked the question, if you could spend the day with anyone, who would it be? And as a, a kid that kind of grew up in Christian school, that question came up a lot probably in that context first. And, and we still experience it today, like, you know, if it's a small group icebreaker, even if it's at the family dinner table, hey, if you could spend the day with anybody, and if you really want to blow it out, anybody in history, who would you spend the day with? And if you're a Christian, there has to be a caveat, there has to be a qualifier. We have to say, anyone besides Jesus because that's always the right answer, right? You'd be like, well, Jesus. And it's like, we all know Jesus first, but who else? If you couldn't, couldn't with Jesus, right? But the cool and really beautiful part about this portion of scripture is, is that we get to spend, in a way, through Mark's writing, a day, a 24-hour period, and this, this chunk of text is larger than most chunks of text we're actually going to go through in this series, but we took it all together because Mark does present this as one beautiful day, in a way, likely the first day of ministry in the ministry of Jesus. And why it's so great is, is maybe you're a Christian here today, or maybe you're just here to explore what Christianity is about. What's undeniable is, about, is the truth that the most important, the most fascinating, the most impactful, intriguing, significant person in the history of the world is Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, we get, in a real beautiful way, 24 hours with him. And it's a gift. And so, when we spend this time with him, when we in a beautiful way, get this wish granted through the scriptures to follow him for a day. We're going to experience two things clearly. The first thing is, is his power. That's going to be really evident. And there's three things that I think we need to see in the text as it relates to seeing his power. And then lastly and quickly, we're going to see, and importantly, his priority. So his power and his priority. So first, let's, let's look at his power. And the first thing we see of the, as it relates to the power of Jesus, is the power of his preaching. Look at Mark 1, 21 again. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So this is, again, the first public day of Jesus' ministry, and it begins with what? He goes to the synagogue on a Sabbath Saturday. It's really like going to church in a real way, and he's going to preach. And he preaches, and we hear in Scripture, not surprisingly, but shockingly to them, that he preaches like no one had ever preached before. And to describe his preaching, Mark uses the word authority, and that's a word that's going to come up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, you could make the argument that chapters 1 through 8 are really about who Jesus is and the authority that he has. That word literally means authority. It means kind of out of the original stuff. It comes from the same root word as the word author. 
And so just imagine here for me, uh, with me for a minute, you're, you're at synagogue on a Saturday morning and, and Jesus of Nazareth comes and he begins to preach and he's preaching about life in a way that it is becoming evident to our hearts that he is in fact the author of life itself. And the response to that is everybody's freaked out. <laughs> They're not used to that. It says they were astonished. That, that word can be translated, they were alarmed. He's preaching in such a powerful way that, that it's disturbing to the listeners. He's not just a good public speaker. He's not just captivating. He's not just like the king of the TED Talkers, right? He has, he has authority, meaning he is utterly and always right. Imagine for a moment that, that you're participating in like a book club where you're all together, you're with some friends, and you're reading a book together. And let's say you're going to gather on a Saturday to discuss that book, but to your surprise, actually, the author of that very book that you're reading and discussing together joins you for that book club. Don't you think that you would do a lot more listening than discussing uh, over that coffee? You wouldn't say, well, what I think the author meant is that you're like, well, no, author, you tell me. You tell me what you meant. You tell me the, the deep meaning of this work that you created. You have complete understanding. You share with us the truth. Well, the author of life and creation itself was preaching at synagogue that day, and everything he said was right. People were listening and saying, no, that's, that's totally true. No, I've never, I've never actually heard that before, and that, that rings 100% completely true. I've never heard anyone say things quite like this way. I've never had someone experience just proclaiming insight like this. And of, of course, he's totally authoritative. Of course, he's totally right because he is God in the flesh. And what struck me this week when I was reading the scripture and, and just seeing this is that, you know, it means a lot for us, but this is the thing that I'm wrestling with, with that I would invite you to wrestle with too, right? There, there are 500 hours of content, new content, uploaded on YouTube every minute. There are five hours of content uploaded to YouTube, new content, every minute. There are 48 million podcast episodes that we can listen to right now. There are 33 million books that we could buy on Amazon. 20 million paperback, 10 million plus hardback. Even the admin library, over a million books are checked out every year. Like there is so, there is a mind-numbing amount of content and information and direction that we can receive in 2021, in our day and age, just in our pocket or at our, at our fingertips or just to drive away or that will arrive on our doorstep in 24 hours. And yet, what we see in the scripture is that there is one place to go to hear truth that is always right. There is one place to go to hear total authority as to the meaning of life and purpose and where good life is actually found. And it is in the words and the authority of Christ Jesus. As one theologian and author once asked, how then shall we live? What we see here, day one, 
first action in the ministry of Jesus is that he's the author of life itself. He has total authority. So Jesus' powerful preaching is the first thing that we see. The second thing we need to see is that he has power over darkness. Look at verse 23 with me. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. And he commanded even the unclean spirits, and they obeyed him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. It's interesting that that here and then throughout Mark, people are going to have a lot of questions about the identity of Jesus. Who is he? What's going on here, they ask. But fascinating, in a fascinating way, the demonic always knows exactly what's up and what's going on. And they know exactly who he is. What have you to do with us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I love that the demons ask this. Have you come to destroy us? It's, it's less of a question. It's rhetorical. It's more of like a terrifying realization. In fact, John, who we saw called last week, one of Jesus' first disciples, he summarizes the whole point of Jesus entering our world like this. The reason the Son of God appeared, this is 1 John 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So I think some of us in here, or a lot of people in our city, and certainly a lot of people in our world, when we think about the devil and demons, we think about that in a way where it seems like it's antiquated ignorance. Like, man, people used to believe in stuff like that, but we've gone beyond believing about an unseen realm or believing in, in evil or certainly the devil. That's, that's immature. That's not enlightened, right? And yet the reality would be that we would be the first society in the history of the world that didn't believe in an unseen realm with powers of darkness at work who are evil. And even if, if we are Christians and we profess to be followers of Jesus, we sometimes assume that any demonic activity doesn't really happen here in our, our suburbs. I was hanging out with a friend who's in from another country, and I picked him up from the airport Friday, and he was like, everything is so ordered here. It's like neat squares, and everything is so neat. He was coming from India, and he was just like, one of the things that strikes me about being in the States is just the organization and like the, 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 this, the order and the cleanness and the lines. It's like, it's crazy. It's freaking me out. He had to get used to it. And yet we can think about that on a spiritual level. Like, hey, there's nothing to see here. Everything is, or, and, there, and by the grace of God, there is a blessing, I think, in just the amount of believers in this country. And I don't think that we experience spiritual warfare here in some ways by the grace of God that other places in the world do, like the nation of India or like other nations. But, but we would be ignorant to think that there aren't real powers of darkness at work in our city among people that we love in this day and age, just like there were when Jesus walked the face of the earth. 
I think C.S. Lewis gives us a, a great way to, to approach this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their, one is to disbelieve in their existence. That's one ditch, Lewis says. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves... The demons are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I think he's getting at the heart of what Jesus said upon the arrival of the 72 who said, even, we even have authority over the demons in your name. And Jesus said, hey, don't boast in that. Boast in the fact that your name is written in the book of life, that you have salvation, that you've experienced my grace. So I think we as a church, we just need to be aware of this in a wise way, that we do have sin that we need to repent of. And we, we, we do have wounds that, that maybe there's been sin committed against us, and we've just experienced tragedy and trauma, and we have broken hearts that need to heal. We have weakness that we just simply need to boast in. We're human, and in our weakness, the, the strength of Christ is glorified. But I think one of the ways that we in Edmond, Oklahoma, as followers of Jesus, can be blind to the reality of our spiritual lives together in gospel community is that, that we need to have a, a greater awareness of spiritual warfare. That we do have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, who, who hate, knows the truth of God as these demons profess. They know who he is, but they don't delight in that, but it's begrudging reality that they despise and that Jesus is the Holy One of God, that he is building his kingdom and death itself cannot stand against it. So that invites us into new ways to pray and ways just to be aware of the attack that we're a part of as God's people. Look further at something interesting here. Scripture says in verse 34 that Jesus, that he wouldn't permit them to speak because they knew him. That's weird, right? Theologians call this the, the messianic secret. It's one of the weirdest things to me personally about the Gospels is that Jesus will heal somebody and be like, don't tell anybody about it. Right? Or he, he's silencing a demon who wants to proclaim his true identity. And it just it seems to like just be a weird approach to building a kingdom. Like, hey, I healed you, you know who I am, keep that a secret. So why doesn't he want that to be proclaimed, right? Well, there's multiple reasons, but here's, I think, a, a big one that's helpful for us to understand, because this is going to come up throughout the Gospel of Mark. And just, I think this is the best way to understand it, that practically and strategically, every Jew in this time period, they were under the impression, and, and they did have an expectation that a Messiah was going to come, but they had no grid for actually the real type of savior and king he would be. They thought that he was going to, to be a, a military leader who would fight against Rome. And so Jesus wasn't that. He wasn't there to, to just free Israel from the oppression of Rome. He was there to free the earth from the oppression of sin and death. So his mission was far grander than anybody expected, but he needed time to, to actually teach and proclaim and share his true purpose and his true identity to, to all his followers, particularly his 12 disciples. 
Because if that word spread quickly throughout the Roman Empire as to who he was and that the word that he was Messiah would, would spread, that there was a, a real reality that um, the whole power of the Roman Empire would come not only just crashing down on him, but on all of Israel. And so in, in love and in, in patience and in intentionality, he's waiting for just the right time to begin to proclaim the truth of who he is so that the whole world can be prepared to receive that message. He's not afraid to die. He's actually coming to die. But he wants to die at just the right time. He is going to intentionally walk towards that cross when he's done all the work that he needs to do to lead up to that moment. So when you see Jesus silence somebody that he healed, like we're going to see next week, or tell a demon to shut up about proclaiming exactly who he is, just hear that, hey, he's still got work to do before he gets up on that cross to pay for our sins. As the day moves forward, we continue, as the day moves forward, we continue to see the power of Jesus displayed with his power over disease. Look at Mark 1, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he, he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. It was customary on, on a Saturday after going to synagogue that after uh, you gathered that you would go have lunch. And so I know a lot of us, what do we do on Sundays? We go out with our family back home or go out to eat with friends. And, and it's interesting that that tradition in a real way goes back thousands of years. After synagogue, they go out to eat or they'd come home to eat. And so they, after synagogue, they go back to Peter's house and they're going to eat together, but they find that Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. It actually translates a fire. And everyone in the house immediately tells Jesus about it as they should. And she's not leprous and she's not on the verge of dying. She has a fever. And we don't know whether this was a big deal or not a big deal, but we get the impression that it, 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 it probably wasn't some epic emergency. She's just a little sick. But what's beautiful here is that she's not left in bed alone saying, well, she can sleep it off. That's, that's a bummer. You know, wish she could join us for lunch. It's not a small thing that is not brought to Jesus. There's no, no big deal. Don't bother Jesus with this. They tell him as they should. And what does Jesus do? It's not a small thing to him. He cares. It says, and he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. See, Jesus heals many people in many different ways all throughout the gospel of Mark, all throughout all four gospels. And he could have healed Peter's mom in any way. You're going to see Jesus heal people not even being in their presence just by a word. And yet here, his reaching down 
and grabbing her by the hand is a glimpse into the, to the very heart of God. His hand extended down, taking a hold of the hand of this woman is an expression of the love and the desire to, to meet her in her need. This is just a, a beautiful picture of, of what Jesus is like and what he's doing. It's a a picture of the incarnation itself. He's coming down from heaven to be Emmanuel, God with us. And now he's reaching down to take hold of this woman in her sickness. And this touch means everything. You might be here this morning wondering, like, what is God like? God is like this. A God who loves, even in, in our smallest pains, who cares, who's present, and who is reaching down to touch us with healing, love, and grace. And this is what he wants to do in every life. Whether you're a follower of him right now and you just need a fresh sense of grace and renewal this morning or whether you've never received that, he wants you to know his, his power, his compassion, his forgiveness, his touch of grace. And I think what, what is easy to gloss over is important for us actually to, to see and not pass over. I love what happens to Peter's mother-in-law when she's healed. What does she do? She serves. She serves. And this isn't just like some limiting role to a woman in antiquity. Like, okay, if you're feeling better, you know, make us lunch. <laughs> you know, Jesus was really motivated. Like, man, I'm hungry. Let's, let's get this woman well, right? No. I mean, there's going to be other places in the gospel where God's going to rebuke Martha for serving and, and affirm Mary for sitting at his feet and just being a disciple and receiving. But... The word serve here is the same word that describes what the angels did for Jesus when he was in the wilderness at the beginning of Mark. The word serve here is the same word that Jesus will use to describe his own mission that actually encapsulates the very heart of the gospel of Mark. Mark 10, 45, Jesus speaks of himself and says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Serving is the way of Jesus. And serving is the way of those who have been healed by Jesus. It's essential to the kingdom of God. It's the proper response to being impacted by being struck by the love and the service of God is that we thunder in response by serving and loving others. So that, that struggle, that was one of the things I was wrestling with this week as I was in this text, and I invite you to, to wrestle with that and process it yourself. Hey, as being so, someone who's in Christ, who's been served graciously by a, a humble king, how is that reflected in ways that I seek to serve others? If you're a, a, a child or a teenager or even a, a grown child, hey, how am I serving my parents How am I serving my brothers and sisters? How am I serving my spouse if I'm I'm married or my neighbors, my boss, my church? I think it's it's helpful and healthy for us to to take inventory this week. As I've been served by a loving God, how, how am I reflecting his love by serving others? Jesus' power of disease isn't contained to, to Peter's house. Let's, let's keep on going through. Verse 32 says, That evening at sundown, they, they brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So Jews wouldn't travel on the Sabbath. Um, they, they would, they would uh, from sundown 
on Friday night to sundown on Saturday. They wouldn't travel. And so the kind of like the rule of thumb at the time is when you could see three stars in the sky on Saturday night, that Sabbath was over and you could, you could travel again. And so as soon as those stars appeared in the sky, people began, they heard that Jesus of Nazareth is, is here and he's got authority in, in his preaching. He's got authority over darkness. He has authority over disease. And, and Mark, in his just impactful way, is saying, hey, look, the whole city gathered together at the door of Peter's house. And the door of compassion and power was open to them in Jesus And Mark says he healed many. That doesn't mean like, hey, he healed most or he healed a lot of that whole crowd. It means that there were a great number of those who were healed. He healed them all. And you just get the the image of your mind. Hundreds, if not a few thousand people had gathered. And Jesus is taking time to pray for, touch, heal, and deliver each and every one. Late into the night, if not early into the morning that the light of heaven was shining in Capernaum. And that's how our 24 hours with Jesus begins to come to a close and draws to an end. But there's one more important thing I think we need to see before we wrap up, because that's the power of Jesus. But this day ends with Jesus affirming and holding up his priority. Mark 135, let's read it again together. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him and they found him. And they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So after loving and serving and ministering to to hundreds and hundreds of people. We get the sense here that Jesus grabs a little bit of sleep and then he wakes up early, wakes up first to a quiet house with everyone sleeping and while it's still dark outside, he quietly leaves the house. He walks down the streets of Capernaum. He walks out of the city into the wilderness a place that he's already received restoration from God, met the presence of the Father. And there Jesus is in solitude and he's praying. And Mark will talk about Jesus praying three times after feeding the 5,000 here and in the garden before the cross. All three in, in quiet places, all three dark of early morning or late night, all three among like the whirlwind and intensity of, of ministry, you find Jesus in a quiet place, in a still place, bringing his heart to the heavenly father. We need to remember here that, that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And he didn't live his life apart from God the Father in the empowering presence of the Spirit. Like he's living a a fully human life that is dependent upon a a Spirit-empowered life led by the Heavenly Father. Jesus himself in John 5 verse 19 said, the Son can do nothing on his own. In John 14, he says, the word I say to you, I did not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. 
And again, one of the things that I was wrestling this week, wrestling with this week as I'm, as I'm reading this that I invite us all to truly be shaken by is this. If, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed time in prayer, waiting on the Father, bringing his heart to the Heavenly Father and saying, hey God, here's my will. I want you to take it and I want you to give me your will. If he needed to, to wait to hear from God, to, to be empowered by the Spirit, to in solitude be restored and filled up so he can go and pour out. Like if, if Jesus needed that, then how much more do we need that? If he needed that to, to live out his mission, how much more do we need that to, to live out our mission? A quiet place, a still place, a place to, to hear from and share our heart with the Heavenly Father, a place to, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Do you have that time in your life? Do you have that space? Do you have that place? I know that's really hard for many of us. It struck me. Well, let's just look at what happens to, to Jesus. <laughs> Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. <laughs> this, this phrase searched for actually has like an ominous tone in the Greek. It, it, can, it can be translated, they hunted him down. And their intentions aren't good. It isn't like, oh, where's my friend, right? Where's Jesus? I want to have breakfast. It's like, where are you? Dummy, everybody's looking for Peter. Like uh, the first of many times is going to put his foot in his mouth, right? Where the heck are you? There's an important place for you to be, and you're not there. Everybody's looking for you. We're, we're kicking off this amazing, you're in demand, right? Things are happening, Jesus. And Jesus has different priorities. He has a greater priority. This is as an aside, as I was reading this this week, the image came to my mind of something that's nearly an everyday occurrence in the Adair household at my house. We've got uh, a dining room and a living room that uh, uh, look out on our, our back patio. And most every morning early, Anna, my wife, is out there with, with coffee, which is an idol for her. She's struggling with it. Um, <laughs> shocking how dependent she is on coffee. But coffee... Um, but she does have her Bible and a journal. And so often on the other side of those glass doors is like a two-year-old who is on the hunt for her because he wants a banana. Sometimes there's a 39-year-old who's on the hunt for her because he can't find his keys. Like people are there to interrupt her time waiting on the father. And I just, I just thought as a way of encouragement, may God bless you moms as you pursue silence and solitude with your heavenly father. Don't give up. I know it's challenging. It's challenging for us uh, all, but I know for you in a, in a special way, it can be challenging. It's worthwhile. Don't give up. But when Peter finds Jesus and, and he is accusing him and hunting him down, we just see the, the priority of Jesus. He's, he's rejecting in a real way popularity. He's shrugging off notoriety in, in big crowds. And he's saying, hey, look, I didn't come to draw big crowds. My priority is not your priority, Peter. I came to proclaim the good news of God. I came to preach and preach about the kingdom and preach about repentance. Jesus isn't being uh, wrapped up in the identity of being the miracle worker of Capernaum. 
He doesn't just want to heal bodies. He's come to earth to heal souls. He doesn't want spiritual restoration alone. He doesn't want physical restoration alone. He's about the resurrection of dead souls in sin. And the beautiful thing is like that Jesus heals people. He heals them today. I haven't prayed for a, a lot of people uh, to be healed in my life and seen them miraculously healed, but by the grace of God, that's happened uh, many, many times. I was thinking of my, my friend, uh, um, Derek, that I prayed for years ago that had just severe tinnitus. His ears were ringing so loud he could barely hear, and it was about eight years ago. I got to pray for him with a group of people, and it immediately went away. It's still gone. Jesus heals for his glory sometimes, and it's, it's beautiful, and we pray in faith that he would do that among us. But physical healings are, are temporary, and Jesus was ultimately about a healing that was eternal, healing from sin, healing from bitterness and hate and lust and anger and slander and gossip. He's about the, the highest healing, which is bringing us from being dead in our sin to alive in him. So there, there are many beautiful benefits of, of the power of Jesus. But what we see ultimately in his priority is that the glory upon glory is that he can bring us from death to life. So if you, you don't know him today, if you have not experienced that resurrection power, that is his invitation to you. Just like he reached down to grab that sweet woman by the hand and take her from the fire of a fever to, to health, he is reaching down right now to invite you from death to life, to receive him as king, to ask for forgiveness for your sins. He will give it. That's why he came. He loves you. He has the power to deal with your sin and the priority of his heart is your salvation. This is a God so good. We couldn't make this up. <laughs> Seems too good to be true, but it is true. This is who Jesus is. It shows us who God is. Let's stand and pray. In all the ways that we see you clearly in this text, I pray, Jesus, that, that for those that follow you, that love you, that you would enrich in our understanding and our love, that we would think of you rightly in higher ways, and our hearts would, would grow in depth of our love for you. So everything I said that was helpful to those ends, Holy Spirit, would you... Would you help us hold on to those? And for my friends here that have not yet received the, the healing touch and the grace of God, who have not crossed the line of faith to know you, Jesus, as their King, their Lord, their Savior, would you draw them, Spirit, even now, that they can pray on their own? Perhaps they can come up here and pray with a friend and, and give their lives to you, Jesus, and, and find life. Spirit, would you... Lead each and every one of us where you're calling us to go. Jesus, we pray this in your name. And God's people said, amen.